there's been a couple of different I'll use the term very loosely here, uh, nonprofits that offer services to quote unquote sex workers, but they assume that all sex work is coerced and forced and therefore have zero services actually available for sex workers. They're there to support sex trafficking victims who by all means absolutely deserve support, but please don't do it under the guise of support for sex workers. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking to sex entrepreneur and influencer Alice Little. She's the highest-earning licensed sex worker at the world-famous Moonlight Bunny Ranch Legal Brothel in Carson City, Nevada. Alice is also an outspoken advocate for sex worker rights and a vocal champion for an all-inclusive sex-positive society. Alice founded the political action group Hookers for Healthcare to fight for healthcare policies that benefit sex workers and other stigmatized groups. She's also the co-founder of the Nevada Brothel Association, a political action committee that advocates for the rights of women working in Nevada's legal bordellos. Alice, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so, so much for having me. I am so excited to chat with you all. Yay! Um, so we talked a little bit before we started recording this episode, and you said that you are currently single, but when I first was introduced to you, it was on the Skinny Confidential podcast, and on mm-hmm. that episode, you said that you um, identify as polyamorous, and so I'm interested with that, like, do you feel like that specific relationship configuration allows for more ease in your job? Oh, without a doubt. Just... The knowledge and understanding that polyamory gives when it comes to establishing multiple, unique, multifaceted relationships with more than one individual really comes in handy, both personally as well as professionally. I've always long had the stance that love shouldn't be limited, and it just goes hand in hand with what I do professionally now, too. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, it seems like it seems like it would make it seems like polyamory already involves a certain amount of like questioning and dismantling some of the assumptions people have about how much ownership they have over a partner's body and mind and heart and stuff like that. So it does seem like it would at least if someone were already polyamorous, they would at least have started questioning some of those things so that then something like sex work doesn't feel like as much of a threat to everything that they hold sacred about relationships. Mm-hmm, absolutely so. And it's particularly interesting when you look at the origins of relationship monogamy and why that was such a concept in the first place. And it really doesn't have any relevancy in 2020, yet we still hold it so near and dear to our hearts. And if you ask most people what was the origin of monogamy, they probably couldn't tell you. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, it is also that kind of thing that, you know, we're so set up for it to be a default that a lot of us don't really even get a choice in the matter, you know, that like, I think I get fielded the question all the time. And I'm sure that you did also of like, oh, when did you choose to be polyamorous? How did you get into polyamory? But we don't really ask people like, how'd you get into that crazy monogamy that you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> It's really true. And people always expect it to be this like long winded, dramatic, well, you see, and it's like, uh, actually, my first relationship was with two other women when I was in high school before we even knew the word polyamory existed. We're just like, hi, I like you and you like you and you like her. And um, yeah, we should do this. <laughs> That's and awesome. eventually I came to find the polyamory community and learned a little bit more about the do's, the don'ts. There's so many, so much great literature out there now. It's wonderful. Yeah. So you were polyamorous even before you became a sex worker? Yes, I wow. sure was. I also was involved in the kink community as an educator. Mm-hmm. I actually had spoken at a polyamory conference back in 2014, I want to say. Oh, it was nice. really, really fun. I enjoyed it so much so. And so transitioning to full service sex work was kind of like a duck to water. Like, cool, I can totally do this. This suits me so, so well. Right. And already having those skills of presenting stuff in like an educational format, I think Mm -hmm. that really actually makes a lot of sense why then you went on to found the Nevada Brothel Association and, you know, become sort of an advocate for sex workers. Uh, Yeah, I it's kind of funny. I used to be such a painfully shy kid, like sweaty palms when I would stand up in front of the class with this little high pitched, super like (laughs) meek, freaked out voice. And, well, I took a few public speaking classes in school and that really helped bring me out of my shell. Oh, I can imagine. Wow, that's all it took was public speaking courses? That's amazing. (laughs) Multiple, multiple public speaking courses. (laughs) Wow. Uh, okay, so so we were curious to start out. Um, what would you say, because you probably talk about this a lot, what are the most common misconceptions that people have about sex workers? And, and what, what's the truth? Ooh, <laughs> the most common misconception is that consensual sex work does not exist. And the assumption mm. that all sex work must be coerced or forced. And that is so far from reality. It is not even funny. Unfortunately, there's this conflation between sex work and sex trafficking, and the two are not the same thing. Sex work is inherently, by default, a consensual choice that somebody is making to enter into this space and offer these emotional services. Whereas sex trafficking by very nature is anything that is coerced, forced, pressured, manipulated, it falls under that umbrella. They're very, very different groups. And when you try and combine the two, you do both groups a really grave disservice. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't allow for services to authentically be offered to survivors of sex trafficking, nor does it allow for there to be services available to just sex workers in general Mm. right it's like these two populations to a certain extent maybe there's a little bit of overlap in like the services that they might need or like the support that they might need but it's like really at the end of the day two completely different populations with two very distinct sets of needs i'd imagine 
Absolutely. You figure for trafficking victims, the goal is to move them into a more comfortable, safe position, allow them to find employment outside of the industry and really focus on rehabilitation from the trauma that they've experienced and take care of any psychological needs, any medical needs, etc. Whereas if you're looking at someone that's a sex worker, their needs are going to be so greatly different. They're going to need things like ongoing STD and STI testing. They're going to need access to banking systems. So this way they can fund their own retirement. They're not looking to get out of the industry. They're the ones who chose to be in it in the first place. They don't, they don't want to be saved, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And that's something that has been a real chronic narrative, especially right now. There's been a couple of different, uh, I'll use the term very loosely here, uh, nonprofits that offer services to quote unquote sex workers, but they assume that all sex work is coerced and forced and therefore have zero services actually available for sex workers. They're there to support sex trafficking victims who by all means absolutely deserve support, but please don't do it under the guise of support for sex workers. Very, very different. Right. I'm curious, you know, with with these kind of nonprofits that have been maybe not quite so helpful for uh, people who are actually sex workers, like, are there practices like, you know, offering support only contingent upon you exiting the industry or things like that? Is that kind of, I imagine that that might be somewhere where some of that, like, you know, the negative impacts of the messaging being unclear might come from? Very much so. The the one group locally that I've had run-ins when defending the legality of Nevada brothels misused 501c3 nonprofit funds to run 67 paid Facebook ads campaigning to close the brothels down in order to save the women. And it's like, Hold up a minute here. You're actually costing the county 101 paid employee positions, not to mention the 130 licensed sex workers that you'd also be putting out of work. How exactly do you plan to recompense 230 odd displaced workers in a rural county in which, well, there's very limited work opportunities? Hmm. Please do tell me how that helps anyone. Like, who are you saving here, really? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It, it was really frustrating. And to now see that same group choose to take this, quote unquote, opportunity of the coronavirus COVID-19 to try and convince girls to forsake the brothels and find the light in Jesus Christ is mm. a little bit misplaced and misguided. That's, that's I, I would helpful. say so. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing. I didn't even think about that. Like, I'm, I'm sure the same way that we see like these kind of really deceptive like crisis pregnancy centers that are like usually Christian funded and Christian driven that are kind of deceptive in what kind of services they offer. I imagine that there's, there must be the same thing with sex, sex, you know, with with people trying to support sex, you know, sex trafficking victims, right? That it's like there's the ones that have an agenda or maybe the ones that don't have an agenda. Gosh, sorry. Now I'm just like newly disgusted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a, that's a really relevant connection to make because they are not dissimilar in the way that they presented themselves as being there and beneficial and wonderful mm. and helpful and actually no, not so much. Mm. And 
it, it's just been a real point of personal frustration yeah. because dancers, sex workers, so many of us pay into our taxes. We run little, little small businesses. Many of us have LLCs and yet yeah. we can't get any of the grants that are available for small businesses. We're being specifically excluded from that. We are excluded in most states from receiving the unemployment benefits that are being extended to independent contractors. Uh, Supposedly, the state of Nevada is going to offer coverage for the legal sex workers, Mm. but I haven't spoken to a single sex worker that has successfully managed to apply Mm. for and get Mm. unemployment at this time. We're being told we have to call into the phones, but... That's impossible. I know personally it's impossible. <laughs> I I called 153 times. Yep. Uh-huh. I literally had it on my phone 153 times. It's it's clearly not viable support no. for somebody who is existing at a level where the need is is going to be higher. Like I I can't even fathom what single mothers are supposed to be doing in this scenario what are what are god it it just man it just runs really deep i i'm still a little bit speechless at the fact that they so specifically were careful to exclude sex work in the sex industry from support it just yeah it's like talk about like extreme insult to injury at a time like this like really that's that's the route that you want to go that's the choice that you want to make right now Mm -hmm. i'm sorry uh there was this woman her name is stormy daniels and did you dear sir president yeah possibly maybe have relations with the sex worker at this oh you did didn't you (laughs) yeah yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's I mean, I don't want us to go down a whole political rabbit hole on this particular episode. <laughs> I know like we all so easily could. It's oh, like we we're could. like we're on. Oh, the yeah. Oh, it's right there. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot to be said here about when there's a crisis, what happens to anyone who's already even mm-hmm. remotely disenfranchised is just gets tossed out the window. And even to the point of looking at the way that wage workers are treated by the companies who employ them in order to save themselves. Right. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of bad things. I don't want to, I don't want to go down that road all the way right now. Uh, But so I actually was wondering if you could clarify some, some stuff for us. Cause I know for me a few years ago when I first learned the term sex work um, in my mind, that meant specifically prostitution. And mm-hmm. I have come in the years since then to learn that actually sex work applies to quite a wide range of things. And I was wondering for our listeners who might be in a similar position to me, like what, um, what, what is that range? Could you kind of give us a sense of like the lay of the land of what sex work means? For sure. I, I like to think of sex work almost as an umbrella term, which is fitting because the red umbrella is the sign for supporting sex workers. Huh, and huh. so Each spoke of the umbrella represents a different type of service. In the full service spoke, you have full service sex work, which can look like full on prostitution, which is what's legal in Nevada. That could look like full contact dancing. That could look like um, full BDSM sessions sometimes could fall under the 
umbrella term of full service, quote unquote, anything that's based one to one physical interaction in person, I kind of put under the full service category. Then you have your virtual category. These are going to be your cam girls, your phone sex operators, only fans. You're going to see personal content creators, ladies that are doing photo shoots and selling those through websites such as Suicide Girls. That's kind of your digital space. Then you also have a few niches within the digital space too, where you can have online financial domination. You can have an online girlfriend experience. You could have an online tease and denial session. There's a lot of different ways that the digital sphere can kind of go. Um, and, and then you also have your kind of a technological side of sex work. Those are going to be people who are designing sex toys, sex products, any sort of harnesses, leather smiths, boot blacks for the leather community. That's going to be under your kind of like technical sex work sort of sphere. And then you have your educational sphere. I personally consider sex educators to be under the umbrella of sex workers because they oftentimes are stigmatized and limited in much the same fashion. And oftentimes there's overlaps between the educators and the sex workers, whereas sex education is still a type of sex work. That can look like folks going to different national level conferences like I used to do, folks on the online space, people creating YouTube videos. There's lots of different ways like podcasts that fall under the sex sphere could technically fall under the sex work umbrella. So it's a really broad term. It's very inclusionary rather than exclusionary. There's mm. Another concept that's really important to be aware of in the wide umbrella of sex work, it's called the quote-unquote whore-archy. Which, the whore-archy is the internal stigmatization of one group of sex workers to another group of sex workers. Mm. Okay. Or, yeah. People love doing that, though. Yeah, yeah. And people like doing that just and, in like, general any of us, things. Any yeah. of us who are attached to like anything relatively sex positive, we love looking at the next person over and being like, oh, but my sex positivity isn't as like gross as their sex positivity. We love doing that. <laughs> and it's so toxic to mm -hmm. say that I'm quote unquote better because I'm a phone sex operator and not a cam girl and I'm better because I'm a cam girl and not a full service provider or, oh, I would never sell nude photos online. Like, calm down. Let's not sex work shame here. Yeah, it's just right. like kink shaming. Your yeah. kink is not my kink and that's totally okay. Your work is not my work. That's great. Doesn't mean we need to create this internalized pyramid of privilege. So like, come on, we're already marginalized enough, gang. Let's just stop that real quick. Double tap the brakes. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's so interesting how that happens. And, and, um, I mean, this is my first time being introduced to the term hierarchy, which I, I love not as a concept, but as a term. Um, oh, it's hysterical. I love the yeah. term. Like, <laughs> down with the hierarchy? Are you kidding me? That's like a t-shirt waiting to be made. <laughs> but it's so interesting how we do see that happen across marginalized groups where we all learn to internalize like our own 
misogyny or our own racism or our own sex negativity to the point where we can come to a place of like accepting ourselves and maybe accepting our little in-group of the people who are into the same stuff that we're into. And yet we're still so trained to do that othering and Mm -hmm. to like put ourselves on the hierarchy and figure out where do we fall in the pecking order. And as long as I know who's above me and who's below me, then I'm going to be safe. So it's so interesting that like, it's like the work almost goes halfway there when it comes to like work of, of, you know, removing marginalization and stuff like that. That's just fascinating to think about. Oh yeah. And I always feel the need to speak up about it because I am a very, very, very privileged sex worker. And I can absolutely acknowledge that I get to work legally in a safe environment. I'm the most successful person in my industry. Like, I am a very privileged individual and I am not better than a cam girl or a phone sex worker or a street based sex worker. Like, no, there is no stigma. There is no sort of this is better than that one. That that conversation, that narrative really needs to go away if we're ever going to see progress made for rights for everyone. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not just about me. It's about we, in a sense, we as sex workers, we as people in the adult industry all need to collaborate and work together to ensure that we all are going to be given fair rights and opportunities. Absolutely. And kind of to go along with that, I am interested in what you created, which is Hookers for Healthcare. I, I want to talk a little bit about like your work in creating that and what you're hoping to achieve with that movement. Oh, that's like my baby. That's like my passion project right there. That's awesome. So I decided to go with hookers for healthcare to be really, really, really flashy. I wanted people to stop and be like, wait, what? (laughs) Who are they? What are they calling themselves? So like, I know it's a splashy word and it's intentionally so. Back when it was first started, when I went to go and obtain health insurance for myself, There were no options on the Nevada health share market for independent contractors in the adult entertainment space. We were specifically excluded from all opportunities for coverage, which... Even though it was legal? And it is legal? That's Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had zero options. And as a result... I decided to do something about it. So I turned to my coworkers and said, all right, cool. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together and we're going to write some letters and we're going to make some phone calls. And then we're going to put on a little demonstration. We are going to campaign for additional insurance providers to enter this space and offer us services because we are valid. We are legal and we deserve the same damn health rights as everybody else. Mm. Like, are you kidding me? Is this a joke that we have to do this right now? And so we decided to make it as impactful and as, well, in everyone's face as possible. We put together a whole bunch of signs, marched down the center of Carson City, which is the capital, with red umbrellas and signs, home for healthcare, healthcare is a human right, etc. We We went hard. And as a result, three different providers entered the space to offer services to legal sex workers in Nevada. That's awesome. So we didn't just get coverage. We got options, which was as good as it gets. And since then, it's shifted focus to match sex workers to their right insurance plan. Because let's Mm. be honest here. 
the healthcare marketplace is kind of a hellscape. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Just kind of, just <laughs> yes. a little bit, I would say. In this country, oh yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I can't think of a better word for it. It's like nightmarish beyond words. Like, hold on, I think I've got hives like popping up. Yeah. I feel like I'm allergic to it. <laughs> it is such a complex and nuanced thing, especially when you're looking for multi-person coverage for those that have kids or family. Like... There's so many different factors, what level of coverage, what kind of coverage. So now the organization helps to guide sex workers through the jungle, if you will, and make sure that everybody knows how to get coverage and understands what it actually means. Like just recently, I reactivated Hookers for Healthcare because a special period was opened up here in Nevada to allow all Nevadans access to healthcare if they Mm -hmm. hadn't previously signed up for insurance. So we seized that window of opportunity, reached out to every single girl in the industry and said, hi, if you don't have coverage yet, we want to help you get the coverage you need. Unfortunately, we can't pay for it. We don't have the ability to like make a union and create like Mm -hmm. a, a group plan at this time because we are independent contractors. But by all means, I will hold your hand and help you navigate this mess. Wow. Yeah, that's That's really cool. Have you had thoughts about, I mean, what is the feasibility of being able to unionize? I know that I feel like a lot of people would kind of scoff at that idea, but I'm, but I'm just like, you know, if you're able to mobilize around hookers for healthcare and like actually get stuff done, I'm like, that feels pretty encouraging as far as being able to come together as a group and like secure more rights for yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Part of the challenge is that every single brothel operates under its own set of laws, which are dictated by the individual counties. So Uh. the legislation for Lyon County is not the same as the legislation for Nye County, which is different than Story County, on and on and on. As a result, every single individual location would really has different needs. The girls have different levels of things that they would like access to. For example, we recently were able to overturn a policy, ironically enough, called lockdown. We started a, <laughs> wow. we started a little group, uh, stoplockdown.org, to defeat what was a 24-hour doctor's ordinance in Nye County, which essentially required the ladies to stay at the brothel location for the duration of their work period. If they left for more than 24 hours, their doctor's clearance would expire. They would then have to return, pay a fee, retest, wait, and then be unable to work until the results came back in, which pretty much just forced the girls to stay there 24-7 for two to three weeks on end, which is pretty unacceptable in 2020. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. wow. Oh my so, goodness. ironically enough, we managed to get that uh, Nye County ordinance thrown out the window just in time for the whole wide world to be put in lockdown. <laughs> and now you have to stay there for 24 hours, <laughs> seven days a week. So, here we are. Fascinating. Uh, there wow. was definitely a good chuckle that happened afterwards. I'm like, hey, stop down, stop lockdown.org. Hey guys, we're um we're not really relevant anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> oh we need goodness. to rethink the messaging here, guys. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Kinda, oops. Oops. Yeah. So uh, you know, I want to switch gears a little bit. You know, you've talked about advocating for an all-inclusive sex positive society. And so far in our conversation, I think that we've kind of uh, hinted at that a little bit, but I want to hear, you know, can you tell us what that means to you and what that would look like? For me, 
That looks like sex education, acceptance and services at all ages and all levels. And by this, I mean quality sex education that's relevant to the specific grade level of the child. So we need sex education that's appropriate for kindergarten. What's good touch versus bad touch? That's kind of important. That has to that's an important conversation. We need to talk to kids about that. Then there needs to be puberty-related sex education. Then there needs to be sex-related sex education, STD and STI sex education. And then for adults, we need to have things that educate about foreplay, consent, kink, all available at this very public level and able to be obtained no different than a college education. Additionally, we need to see the legalization as well as decriminalization of sex work across the country from state to state. The reason why we need both decrim and legalization is because a legal system isn't necessarily going to serve those that are most marginalized. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to be interested or able to participate in a legal system. As such, we need to go ahead and decriminalize, much in the same way that with marijuana, we're seeing it both legalized and decriminalized simultaneously. Same, too, is it a harm reduction method for the overall health and welfare of Americans? I don't want to say just women, because realistically, there are sex workers that are men. There are sex workers that are trans. There are sex workers that are queer and non-binary. And right now, the only place to do legal full-service sex work is in Nevada, which is only available to those that have the female gender marker, which is, mm. of course, limited. I didn't realize yeah. that, that that's actually part of it. Oh, wow. It is. Wow. There, are unfortunately, are no opportunities for men legally in Nevada. And if you were trans, wow. my understanding is that only certain counties allow for male to female trans workers, but you have to have your name changed and your gender confirming surgery, you need Jeez. to have the gender markers Goodness. on your passport, your birth certificate, your driver, the whole ordeal. It's wow, a wow, it's no a lot. Wow. wow. Yeah. That means a lot of people don't have access yeah. to a safe workspace and I have a huge problem with that. And Absolutely. I kind of want to do something about it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, my goodness. And so so I know that like at the time of recording we're <laughs> We're all on lockdown. We're all having to to adjust to the new normal. And I mean, once this thing blows over, we know we don't know what normal is going to be after that. But once this blows over, what for you feels like are kind of the next steps as far as pushing us forward towards this all inclusive sex positive society? I think we can all agree that our economy is going to be hurting tremendously on the other end of this. And as a result, many people are going to need to be innovative in order to generate enough tax income for this country to be able to sustain itself. Mm. Much in the same way that nationally legalizing marijuana would be a good choice, I believe that or nationally legalizing sex work and decriminalizing sex work is a really intelligent move to make right now because it creates a new industry that can have an excise tax on it. Right. Hell, tax us an extra 15%. Please, please huh. do. That is worth it for rights. Like, mm. if we were to turn around and make marijuana legal in all 50 states and then make sex work legal in all 50 states, that would look like multiple billions of dollars entering the economy right now 
you know, I think it would be enough to put us back on track. It would make a tremendous difference because it opens up so much enterprise across so many levels, not just for the workers. It creates work for web designers, graphics designers, marketers, podcasters, um, you name it. The industry is so large that there would be so much opportunity available there that jobs could be created market share could be opened up like god it just it has so much possibility that i would love to see on the other end of this people at least having a conversation about what would it look like how could we start doing this and just accepting that as a possibility is really the next step right now most people don't even have that on their radar as an option because it is so limited like nationally legalizing marijuana Well, most states now have it available either recreationally or medically, so that's not super outlandish. Whereas the idea of proposing sex work at a national level is still kind of like, ooh, pearl clutch to a certain degree. There's there's a lot that has to happen before then. Education, awareness, uh, destigmatization of sex workers by like sharing their real human stories in a way that isn't being censored by the media. We need people to understand who sex workers are and what sex workers actually do in order for us to be able to take those next steps. And I plan on doing my small part by continuing to talk to legislators, answering their questions, making bill proposal suggestions, offering to talk to students, answer interview questions, help them with their term papers around sex work. I I do anything and everything I can to help be a voice in the right direction. Yeah, it, it seems like, you know, a big philosophical hurdle that I see is like, how do we get ourselves past this like big wall of denial? And it's like the denial that like the majority of us engage in some kind of like, like the majority of us benefit from some kind of sex work, essentially, oh, yeah. you know, like at oh, the very yes. least of the entire country, you know, pretty much the entire country watching pornography Two things, like you said, whether you're ordering a sex toy from someone who's designed one or, or you're a sex educator, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, how do we move ourselves past this huge denial that like none of us benefit from sex work? And it's like this tiny fringe thing that only the weirdos in the corner actually take part in. Um, you know, and, and like that's I think that's the thing that's been like so baffling to me in the past few years is, is that it's like like we have the data from Pornhub of like everyone out there is like kinky as hell, all hell, you you know, and like clearly like we're all interested in sex and we're sexual beings. And yet there's still this just like it's like this big blind spot, like this big black hole of denial, like you know, that's something that's the first thing that comes to my mind is like, before we can take any action forward, it's like, how do we get people on board with that of just like dropping that curtain of denial? Mm -hmm. And I really think education is going to be so significant. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, at this point in time, only 13 of the 50 states require sex education to be scientifically accurate. Wow. Yeah. That's 13 horrifying. Yeah, really. Like everybody's making a cringe face right now. And it's so <laughs> real. Like I feel it in my soul. Every time I hear that statistic, I'm like, oh, make it stop. Like yes. they can teach the stork story as if it's scientifically true. 
Wow. Think about that. And then we wonder whether such high instances of teenage pregnancy. Gee, I wonder. Wow. Yeah. Um, So we want to move on in the last half of the episode here to talk a little bit more about you and and your story and things like that. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show, as well as maybe find some great community for yourself. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So we want to talk a little bit about your business, Alice, uh, as well as kind of how it ties to the bigger picture of creating a more sex-positive world and educating people and things like that. And so something, when you talk about having a sex-positive world, I think the people who are scared by those words tend to think that that means, oh, a world where we all have to have sex. Like, they kind of just think sex equals coercion, maybe in general, because maybe maybe that's how it is. I'm going to be forced to come to the orgy. Right, Oh, right. no! They're going <laughs> to open ah. their mailbox and dildos are going to fall out the horror. Right, right. <laughs> that sounds fun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yay, sex time! Yeah, those things are expensive to just get them I delivered know. for free. Goodness. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Where's that stimulus? Like, that's oh, the stimulus gosh. that I'm waiting for from the government. worth of dildos. Right. <laughs> the government's like, we want you all to stay at home, so we're sending you all sex toys. You can exactly. Exactly. Y'all scoff, but the Japanese government has has up to this point been sending money to its citizens, you know, like it's it's a, essentially the equivalent of like $80 a day or something like that. Um, wow. Uh, but there was a politician that proposed, hey, we can't keep doing this. Maybe we should switch to sending people Wagyu beef as a stimulus for okay. the rest of this 
So that was actually floated as an actual proposal in the Japanese oh government. Goodness. So I'm just I saying. I love the Japanese. Like, They're yeah. amazing. The dildo, st- the dildo stimulus to- is maybe not t- not too ridiculous. I was supposed to be in Japan right now at the time. So were they. So we were so too. So were we. Oh we were supposed God, to be serious? in Japan. We're yeah, in they Japan speak right now. They speak yeah, Japanese pretty fluently. Yeah, I was going to a festival and I was so sad. <laughs> yeah. They canceled it. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Where is yeah. that in Tokyo? Yeah, I was supposed to be there. Like this was supposed to be like my second to last day. And oh, man. oh God, that's crazy that you all yeah. were supposed to be there too. Yeah, we, yeah, we were supposed to be there for a couple this episode months in person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're uh, right. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Well, God, maybe next year. Oh, right. Yeah. We'll have to do like a Tokyo reunion party oh, or yeah, something we'll crazy. For next year. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so what I was... What I was trying to get to before we went through this thing about dildo stimulus uh, <laughs> is um, that I think something that m- many people might find surprising about a more sex positive society is that by destigmatizing conversations about sex and not making sex into such a loaded thing, that it actually frees up a lot more opportunity to not have sex if you don't want to. Um, and something that I found really interesting on your site about your different offerings is you specifically have one that's the non-sexual girlfriend experience. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because I think a lot of people would not expect to see that on a sex worker's offerings, right? Like to have specifically a non-sexual experience at all. And so I was really curious what inspired you to create that and what is the response to that? So a lot of people have experienced sexual trauma on all sorts of levels. And oftentimes they're still looking for intimate connection and companionship, but not necessarily that sexually charged element. The problem is when we date in the, let's call it vanilla landscape, there's this assumption that sex is always inevitably a part of a relationship. And some people want a relationship without sex, and that's perfectly valid. And as a result of that, I've had the opportunity to connect with a number of folks, men as well as women, and a couple of folks that are non-binary as well, that simply want to have nice, quality companionship, cuddling, watching a movie, going out to dinner, doing a shared activity like horseback riding or bowling, and not have that sexual pressure come into the equation. Right, and to have that kind of be from the start, like that there's not going to then suddenly they're going to expect sex from you. I think Mm -hmm. actually is a big relief sometimes to not have that, to not have that sort of looming pressure that you might get in the quote, you know, vanilla dating world where it's like, Oh, they Mm -hmm. might say they're fine, but eventually they're going to want that. And you know, they'll be disappointed if I don't and they'll break up with me or, you know, all those concerns. Exactly. That That just gets thrown right out the window. And instead you actually get to get your needs met rather Mm -hmm. than kind of having this voice in the back of your head. Like, no, 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 no. This is almost a form of self care in a way because intimate needs on the spectrum are still a need. Whether it be a need for sex or whether it be a need for companionship, we are, at the end of the day, designed to be together. We're social creatures. Isolation is not the norm for us, which is why I think this situation right now is so particularly poignant for so many people. We're being deprived of one of the very things that makes us human, which is that intimate connection. Yeah. Yeah. And like layering that on top of just kind of like the collective trauma and anxiety of 
of a pandemic, you know, combined mm. with the isolation, which which is literally isolation is like literally the worst punishment we give to human beings is like putting people in solitary confinement, you know. So yeah. it's yeah, I mean, it's uh, I hope all of us come out of this just with a lot more mental and emotional resilience, you know, kind of having gone through the fire, essentially. Mm-hmm. Things. Yeah, it is testing our resilience for sure right now. Um, when I was speaking to my partner, who I am quarantined with right now, about getting the opportunity to talk to you, Alice, I asked him, like, what would you ask? Or is there anything like just, you know, layperson, what, what you would be interested in? And he said uh, to ask you what makes a good client. So are there like certain scenarios, certain people, like cer- whatever makes like a good client so that the scenario is better for both of you? Oh, absolutely. Um, a client etiquette is arriving in person, freshly showered. You don't have to like dress to the nines by any means. Please do make yourself comfortable, but shower, scrub under your nails. Um, it's actually a really good idea to not brush your teeth like right before you go to the ranch and instead just use mouthwash because you don't want your gums bleeding. Like mm. a lot of people would think it's the opposite. And it's like, no, just huh. mouthwash, just shower, bef- like just brush your teeth before you get into the shower and get ready. Like do that first. Mm. Um, you figure it can be a good idea to walk into the scenario, having some idea of what you'd like to experience. Have Even if it's just an emotional description, like I want to feel safe and warm and connected versus I want something that's hot and intense. Even if you can only describe the feeling, have mm-hmm. something to describe what it is you're looking for. Otherwise, it's like spinning the roulette wheel where I'm like, are we thinking schoolgirl cosplay and we're going to role play and get naughty? Or are we wanting to sit down and have a romantic dinner? There's a there's a broad spectrum of different yeah, things that yeah. we can do here. Yeah, so definitely. knowing what you would like and bringing that to the table is certainly helpful. Um, trying to think what else other things just being polite, kind, courteous. Really come as you are. Sex work is the celebration of who you are as a person, not having to prop yourself up and pretend to be somebody that you're not. Mm. So Mm. I never ask people to do something that feels unnatural to them. Like if you don't wear a suit and tie, please don't put on a suit and tie for me. (laughs) I want to be with you Mm. now if we decide that part of our time together is going to look like we're going to go out to a red carpet type event and we're going to get dressed up and i'm going to be wearing this over-the-top dress and you're going to be in a suit and tie let's just talk about it other than that please be comfortable it's supposed Mm. to be a fun enjoyable experience not an anxiety inducing one So when you were talking about, you know, having some idea of what you want and like coming in and even being able to communicate the emotional or like the feeling side of it, you know, that leads me to my next question, which is I saw also on your site that you offer specifically like sexual communication education Mm -hmm. for couples specifically. And I really wanted to know more about what inspired you to begin offering that. One skill that I've acquired as a legal sex worker is quality communication when it comes to intimate topics. I don't flinch when talking about sex or sexual activity, whether it be things we want to try or things that we're maybe afraid of happening, like dysfunctions. And what I bring to the table is a normalcy to those conversations that would otherwise be really challenging to have. 
many people wouldn't feel comfortable just going to their therapist and talking about erectile dysfunction concerns or mm. foreplay issues. Whereas I'm somebody that is very comfortable talking about those things in a confidential manner. And then I'm able to model how to have those conversations with your partner. So it becomes a life skill you get to take home with you. Hey, here's how to initiate sex in a way that doesn't feel pressuresome. Now that you're having sex, here's how to find out what sorts of things feel good. Here's some phrases you can use. Here's some body language things to be aware of. If you want to know, does that feel good? Instead of saying, do you like it 8,000 times? Here's how to ask in maybe a more descriptive way. Tell me how that feels. Are you enjoying yourself? Show me what feels nice, etc. Because nobody wants to hear, do you like it? 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 I'm <laughs> like that endless porno loop. Like, right. knock it dirty. Right. No, that's bad. That's bad bedroom talk. We can yeah. do better, guys. I promise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that intimate communication, it really feels to me like one of the most empowering things that you can do, like for your own sexuality and like for your own sexual pleasure um because we're just so not given scripts for that at all or even told that it's okay i think that's a big thing is like because all we see in the movies is like these people just magically know how to have sex and (laughs) and they're pretty silent during the entire encounter it seems to be good you know and so that's how it has to be and i know that for me even um having been sexually active for a long time i feel like it's only been a, a handful of years where I've actually been like, oh, I can actually communicate about this and actually get what it is that I want and like learn what it is my partner wants. And that's so, I don't know, that's just such a thing that I feel like it really is an important skill to, mm-hmm. to be helping people, you know, build up. It feels and sounds radical, but it shouldn't be. This should be a normal, healthy, accepted part of relationships. But unfortunately, our society has not set us up for that kind of intimate success And as a result, it really comes down to you choosing to go out there and seek that kind of service, which is part of the reason why I put it out there is, hi, this is an option and something that I can genuinely help with at a level that's going to be really impactful. And even now during COVID-19, I've adapted all my services for online purposes. I have a couple of couples a couple of couples, several couples that are chatting with me over webcam and taking advantage of the fact that now they're at home together and have this downtime to start having these conversations and kind of digging into those things that maybe they didn't have the time to prioritize otherwise. Yeah, I I was also thinking about this, that probably another thing that you would bring to the table in that kind of education for couples is more of an experience of the variety of people in sex and sexual experiences. And that's, I think this is something that's true kind of when you're learning any new thing, right? And for a lot of people, unfortunately, sex, maybe they've only had it with a handful of people in their life. And they've gone to this point now where they're in their forties or their fifties and are finally like, I just somehow learned that it was possible to be having this better than I have been, Mm. but I have no frame of reference of what's normal. I don't know if what I'm struggling with is a normal thing or if something's wrong with me. And I think Mm -hmm. just getting that perspective can be huge. Uh, Absolutely. Right. It's it's invaluable and life changing because when you have a pervasive worry that's constantly nagging at you, I mean, that has an impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we had a guest on a few weeks ago where just kind of in passing, we're talking about sex parties 
And she was talking about how for most men, their first several times at a sex party, they're not able to maintain an erection because mm-hmm. of the nerves and just kind of being overstimulated or, or whatever. And that was absolutely my experience. And, but it was not something that anyone ever told me like, oh yeah, that's normal. And so actually hearing mm-hmm. her say that, you know, I had kind of come to terms with it on my own, but it had been a little bit of a struggle when going through that of being like, am I, what, what is this? Am I just like too uptight? Am I nervous? Like what, you know, what's happening and kind of learning like, oh, that's actually very normal was, mm-hmm. was this quite a sort of surprising. I wasn't even looking for it, but was like, wow, that was great to hear that. I've, I feel a little better <laughs> knowing that. And I imagine you'd be able to offer a lot of that kind of stuff to people. Oh yeah. Like it's so funny. Some of the questions that get asked are ones that many of us in the sex positive community go, well, obviously that's the answer, but not everybody has that same frame of reference. Mm -hmm. Like uh, a real common one that I get, especially from gentlemen that are over the age of 50 that have limited sexual experiences. I put something in my butt. It felt good. Does this mean I'm gay? (laughs) Oh my God. I'm still surprised by that one. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. Because think about it in that particular demographic there was no education around what a prostate was, yeah. that it felt good. And the only association they have with anal activities is on the gay spectrum. They've never been presented with that as an option before. Like that doesn't even enter their sphere of possibility. And so of course they're going to respond from a place out of fear and ask like this fearful question first, yeah. like that. It kind of makes sense in a kind of a backwards way, but it's a super common one. And the answer, of course, is no. Enjoying stuff up your butt does not make you gay. It makes you normal. You have a prostate. Use it. It feels good. <laughs> enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's there. Might as well enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that sex education and sexual communication, that's one of the offerings that you have now due to COVID-19. Do you have other ones as well? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you have, as you said, had to kind of pivot away from doing in-person encounters. Mm-hmm. So I've adapted everything that I do in person for online. Well, we not, might not be able to meet skin to skin, we can still be face to face. That means we can still do things like dinner dates. We can watch movies or Netflix together. We can have a romantic dinner or a picnic or go for a walk outside. Heck, I'll attach my phone to my bike. We can go bike riding together. <laughs> like, I want to encourage people to still enjoy that companionship level of connectedness. Well, at the same time, we're still able to do lots of things intimately and sexually through digital technology. There's webcams. There's even sex toys now that people can pair to their phones and use an app to control the other person's pleasure. So I'm really taking advantage of and exploiting all of those technologies that we have available to us to be able to offer like virtual girlfriend experience and virtual sex experiences for people in addition to the companionship too. You know, it's funny. I actually was just realizing as you were saying that, that something that if you don't already offer, I think would be amazing is kind of like a how-to video sex lesson for couples that are long distance, Mm -hmm. right? Because I know that for a, a lot of people, even though those of us who've done some kind of like sexual thing over video chat, it's like, 
maybe there's a better way to do this how do you it feels weird you know like all that nervousness what's the right platform to use privacy concerns you figure skype for example don't get naked on skype you will get kicked off don't do that oh wow i did not know that wow yeah skype is super anti-sex don't use skype Use okay. an encrypted video service like mm. Zoom or something similar. You don't want to just use Skype. Double check wow, yeah. the terms and services because a lot of things are very anti-sex, guys. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Did not know that. I mean, even just part of that lesson being about the security side of it, because like things with Zoom that has all these security concerns, a lot of those are from people not setting it up securely. And so mm-hmm. it's like even just teaching people like, here's how you actually do this so that you kind of know what's going on, what these things are. And how do you do the sex part of it? Well, like, where do you put your camera? Mm-hmm. How do you, what do you say? You know, all that I could actually would be great to have. Yeah. That oh yeah. That's a good idea for the people no, who are awesome. stuck long distance from their partners like Dedeker and I are right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's yeah. especially in the poly community, there's a lot of primary privilege conversations happening yeah. in uh-huh. regards to oh, yeah. who gets yes. to be quarantined together. And yes. that's a whole thing into itself. And it's, it's a challenge of every single level of relationships, whether it be you're together with your loved one, away from your loved one. I mean, there's so many different challenges that are being faced right now and taking advantages of those that have expertise in those fields. It's going to make problem solving go a lot faster, I promise. Absolutely. Um, our final question that we wanted to ask is we saw that you offer video game dates and we're yes! all big gamers, so I'm I was just wondering, like, what game? Nerd. Yeah, no, it, it, so are we. So we were just wondering, like, what games you're into, because <laughs> we're you all know? playing Animal Crossing a lot right Shoot! now. Shoot! Yes, oh, I'm love obsessed. it. It's so I am amazing. Obsessed with that amazing, adorable little game. <laughs> yes, like, it's the perfect game right now. Truly, I have really enjoyed that with several people now because it, it allows for not necessarily multiplayer, but you're able to be on the same island and do stuff together. So yeah. I've definitely been doing some Animal Crossing and chill. I am <laughs> such a fan of Animal Crossing. Like, <laughs> damn it. Now it's like, <laughs> hold on, I gotta go water my flowers so yeah, I can get exactly. my hybrid black roses, damn it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bear bee, gotta go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? You could have a fishing date, a little Animal Crossing yeah. fishing date. Yeah, there's, exactly. been, there's been some really cute Animal Crossing dates I've seen. Nice. Like, I, I did a, a cherry blossom viewing date with yeah, someone because nice. there's cherry blossoms nice. in game right now. And since I couldn't go to Japan, they got like the little tea set and they set it up yeah. in game. And it was so cute. That's it was cool. like <laughs> the cutest, most wholesome use of Animal Crossing ever. <laughs> I love it. Oh That's my great. Well, Alice, this has been fantastic. Um, for our listeners, we're going to be sticking around and talking to Alice a little bit more in our bonus content today. But before we do that, Alice, can you let our listeners know where they can find more of you and your work? Best place to find me on the web is through my website, thealicelittle.com. It'll have links to my Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, as well as my Patreon account. And for those that are interested in spending time with me during quarantine or even afterwards in person, can reach me by email at alicelittle at thealicelittle.com. 
Great. Excellent. So for our bonus content today, we are going to be talking about sex work and cheating. Does going to a sex worker count as cheating? Um, We're going to talk about Alice, about an article that she wrote about this and answer some more questions related to that. So we want to hear more from you about your thoughts on this episode and your thoughts overall on sex work. We're really interested in all of that. So the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Leave us a voice message on Facebook as well. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.